Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. We are here after the incredible performance from Fulham, a two-all draw against Arsenal, outmanned but not outgunned, Fulham ending with 10 men but still coming away with uh, late goal from Jao Polina wrapping up the single point to take home fairly unexpectedly. Here to talk through it all is uh, Elton. How are we going? I'm very well, thanks. Looking forward to it. Enjoyed that last night. Yeah, I mean, we we previewed this game uh, a couple of days ago and it was a pretty depressing podcast from from memory. <laughs> it, it really felt like we were sort of sitting there waiting to have our asses handed to us, basically, but it really didn't turn out that way. And, I mean, admittedly, we got off to the perfect start, which does change the the way you look at a game completely and changes the outlook from the very beginning. But, I mean, going into this game, Dad, did you really think we were a chance of getting anything out of it? I know we we both, all three of us, I think, said that we were going to lose quite comfortably, but um, were you surprised that we actually ended up performing so well? Well, firstly, did did I think we were going to get anything out of it? No, I didn't. And I had two opportunities to change my mind on that, and I didn't, uh, because I really did feel that um, we were going to get spanked, quite honestly. It's been a tough couple of weeks for Fulham Football Club, certainly from an external point of view. That's how it looks and feels. And it, it was difficult to believe that... Um, you know, that we, we wouldn't actually feel some of those effects. So I, I I didn't even have a chance to settle in and adjust and get my head around how this was actually going to kind of play out before suddenly we're one nil up. And maybe, maybe we alluded to that in the conversations we had prior to this game that we we needed a bit of luck. We needed something special. We needed something to go our way to have a, a, a chance. And the the wonderful thing was that I think it was the exact shot in the arm that this group needed to get up and really, really play for the team. And it and it really worked. Yeah, it's um it's an interesting point you make that we we did need a bit of a shot in the arm, and it has been a, a pretty rough couple of weeks as um, Fulham fans at least, but also it must have been feeling fairly similar to that as a, a member of the playing team, as a member of the coaching staff. There would have been a lot of uh, uncertainty. And, you know, we went into the last game and just as the game kicked off, we found out the news about Mitro's deal going through. So this was actually our first game where the the whole saga was completely behind us and it did feel like it could have been sorry, an opportunity for a clean slate. And, I mean, what better way to clean your slate than have a, a goal basically handed to you on a silver platter 50 seconds in? Um, a, a silly mistake from Saka. Uh, these things happen early in games, but really good pressing from Fulham, which was the main thing there, to win that ball back. Um, it was the pressure that we put on in those tight little spaces. And Arsenal are usually very good at getting out of those spaces, but we, we press them hard. A mistake from Saka fell to Pereira and uh, dad is is he going for a chip from distance or is he trying to place it in wrong foot Ramsdale which he did perfectly do you think he got a little bit lucky there with the finish <coughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me um we saw a number of replays of that goal but all from the same angle 
And what I'd love to have seen was a couple of different angles just to form a better view on that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I, I want to believe that rather than go for the, the hero shot and try and curl it around Ramsdale, I, I, I genuinely think he'd try to sneak it in sort of his near post. I know Ramsdale was a long way out of his goal, but it was effectively his near post. And I, I think I'm going to say he meant it. I thought he was quite, um, yeah, I thought he was quite calm. Uh, he didn't flap. He didn't snatch at it. He didn't panic. Um, so I, I think he was composed. So I'm saying he meant that. Yeah, look, if he if he did mean it, it's a superb finish and, and really quick thinking as well um, to notice that Ramsdale, he sort of turns his back very slightly to, to try and run back to his goal um, of it, rather than backpedaling, obviously, to get back there faster. And it's at that moment that Pereira hits the ball, which is why he gets so completely wrong-footed there. Um, I, I'm just, I'm not a hundred percent sure he he meant to actually sneak it in the far. I, I think I think he was probably going for the far post and trying to hit a little bit harder than that, um, and sort of curl it into the top corner. And I, look, I don't think it was a complete miss hit. He, he still gets it on target, but. Yeah, um, I mean, as some of our people on the live stream are, are saying, and I'll highlight Ash here from FFC and me, I don't really care if it goes in. Um, and yeah, that's right. sort of what we've been talking about for the first couple of weeks as well, where um, we lacked that cutting edge early doors. Um, we saw against Everton, a couple of chances fell at our feet. We just didn't do anything with them. Same against Brentford. And this was a really good way to set the standard for the rest of the game where we had an opportunity fall to us and we actually take it from the off. And it, I think it just boosts the confidence right from the very start to have something like that happen. And we saw from there on, we we looked really confident. A lot of the time, you'll see teams sit back, they've got a lead, try and defend it completely, but we did not look like we were happy with just a 1-0 lead. We looked like we were pushing for more and more and we saw a really good effort by Jimenez, who I think had his best game in a Fulham shirt so far. Um, that scissor slash bicycle kick sort of thing. I mean, Dad, that surely would have been one of the best Fulham goals we've seen in some time if that had actually gone in. Yeah, that that would, would have been quite a moment, wouldn't it? And it, it's... I, I really feel it, it maybe doesn't have to be that quite that spectacular for Raul Jimenez, but I'd I'd love to see him get some goals, um, not not least as a reward for the sheer level of work he put in yesterday and has done in the, the last couple of times he's played. But um, look, I'm I'm not sure he's the the complete article, and there there seem to be some shortcomings there, which is sounds a bit harsh for a guy who has scored thirty goals for his country. But I, you know, what I like about the guy is he seems to be very, very keen to work so hard for this team. And I think that's a quality well, that any manager appreciates. But I think Silva in particular, being so passionate uh, and, you know, quite, quite a hard taskmaster, I think he demands it. And when he gets it, he really appreciates it. And I think that guy has done himself absolutely no harm in the, you know, the effort he put in yesterday. And to, to be fair, as I mentioned to you chatting um, whilst we're watching the game, 
whilst a lot of his efforts, you know, he, he didn't score a goal other than a couple of attempts, the one scissor attempt overhead scissor kick that we were talking about. Um, in, in general, I thought he stood out uh, working so hard for us in defence, particularly when we were a man down. He absolutely dug deep. And I I just love seeing that. I mean, the, what, what more as a fan uh, could you want than 11 guys who want to play for the, the badge like that? Yeah, absolutely. He really um, threw his body around a lot, which was good because I think he looked fractionally lightweight in the first couple of fixtures we saw him. And, you know, I, we, we mentioned it on the last pod as well, sort of saying uh, I felt a little bit worried about his confidence in the air. Um, it felt like he maybe ducked out of a few headers and wasn't really challenging hard in the first couple of games. Yesterday, he was flying around. He was winning so many headers especially flick-ons from sort of long balls over the top. A couple of times we were offside, but he he really impressed yesterday. And look, I, I still think he's lacking that goal-scoring aspect at the moment. And, you know, the, the, the story is unfolding before our eyes here. So I don't think it's by any means finished and we can write him off and say he can't, can't score goals. But um, everything else he's doing is looking good. I just want to see some goals there as well. Um, it's it, yeah. It, it's on. a valuable contribution. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I know. We want to. We want to judge him for. Um, he's a striker. He should be putting goals in the back of the net and making that kind of contribution. But the pressure he's applying around the ground and particularly on defenders, um, it, it, it there's a fallout for that, which only benefits us if he can keep that kind of work rate up. I, I love it. I really do love it. Obviously, it's not the full package, as I mentioned before, but I, I, I like I like what I'm seeing. Um, and, yeah, can, can I just say also that um, I, I need to go back and watch that, but obviously Saka makes the mistake that we see. But I, I, I want to say the pass that was made to Saka, and it could have been Rice, was actually a bit of a hospital pass. It was under hit. And I think that actually creates a problem for Saka, which he doesn't fix and doesn't correct. And and uh, I think the problem that led to that goal actually started with a pass coming into Saka. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember. I, I don't think it was that bad a pass. It's one of those instances where you see Arsenal play out of those situations all the time. They're, they're on the touchline. They're playing triangles. It's just sort of like he he thought there would be a man there and there wasn't. And I, I remember hearing the commentator saying, you know, Arsenal had changed their formation very slightly and um, basically they line up with four at the back with Partey playing as the right back. But then when they've got possession with the ball, Partey moves forward into a central midfield role and they play a back three. The problem there is you're, you're expecting someone to be back there in that sort of hole, but there isn't because uh, Partey's moved forward and all of a sudden you've got this gaping hole where you play the ball back. And, and I mean, that's part of a really good tactic as well is knowing where someone's going to be without even having to look up. Um, and I, I think... Arsenal just haven't worked out their system perfectly uh, when they're transitioning like that. And so it, it was a mistake. But again, as a few people have said on the live stream here as well, the mistake was caused by 
really good pressing from Fulham there. It, it was a genuine mistake, but um, you know we were we were pushing really hard early doors, which I, I find sometimes we don't do that often. I, I feel like we don't press as hard as you you see some teams that come up against us, and when we have um, have the ball from the very start, they are onto us and on our toes constantly, and. I feel like we don't really see that very often from this Fulham team, but yesterday we really did. And I hope it's something that we sort of hang our hat on and go, look, when we press from the very start, it really works. So let's continue to do so going forward because it gets results. Um, and, you know, it, it was it was just a perfect way to start the game. And um, I, I think going back to the Jimenez conversation we were having, uh, in it's hard to compare strikers sometimes because everyone's got such a different style, but Jimenez definitely presses a lot more than Mitro did. And I think that's going to work in our favor because Andreas Pereira also presses very hard and, you know, defense starts from the very front. And I think having those two up front running their asses off for the whole game, pressing defenses really hard will cause mistakes because then the ball has to be played into midfield under pressure, and you've got players like Polina, Lukic, Reed, all getting in there and, and disrupting the midfield. I think it's it could work in our favour for, for games like this, especially where you need to try and force mistakes rather than hold possession for the whole game. I think um, Jimenez is going to be a, a bit of a key for us. Um, so look, going into half-time, 1-0 up, um, you know, I, I don't think any of us really expected to be be having this kind of outing against an Arsenal team who they haven't looked amazing so far this year, but they they have the quality. We saw it last season. Um, they've obviously made a few signings, although they didn't really work out very well. We saw Havertz had a very poor game, um, was sort of unseen for the majority of the game, and Trossard got dragged at half time as well. Um, Dad Leno had to make a few saves against his old club, um, but really, did you feel Arsenal were? They were sort of knocking on the door, but not actually making anything really happen and not really challenging Leno too often. Well, I, I was getting annoyed with the commentary, quite quite honestly, because I, I thought the commentary was very much of a mind that um, Arsenal were a little bit off the boil in in their execution around goal. But I, but I actually felt that Fulham were causing some of those problems. I thought we defended really, really well. And I, th- I th- you know, I, you, you only, people can only play as well as you let them. And w- whilst, you know, that, that sucker uh, heads the one into the ground, looks kind of silly. And there were a couple of misses, but I, I, I think they didn't have it their own way. Uh, and we were really up for it. And we were incredibly competitive. And I think it showed. Um, obviously when you've got that kind of quality, they just keep coming at you. And, um, I, I would say that, uh, um, you know, their, their goal, I, I know it was a substitute that came on and it was a pretty nice finish, but I, I did feel that their pressure was relentless as the game wore on. And it, it's difficult to withstand that when they've got the ball and coming at you so hard with such a lot of quality players, you know, Odegaard, um, he was creating such a lot. And I, I did listen to um, um, Silva's a, a brief presser afterwards, and he was saying that, you know, they they didn't want to give up um, 
the 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 middle basically, which left left them with no alternative but to to give the wingers space. But it, but they knew what they were dealing with, and 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 yet it, it you know it's very hard work. It looked like a knackering knackering game for for our guys. Really really hard. Yeah, work. Um, I, I said it to you during the game as well because you you sent me the same message saying. Geez, Martinelli and Saka are just in acres of space constantly, and it's it, uh, well. I mean, I I was pretty much on board with um, Silver's thinking there, saying, you know, you just don't want to give too much space in the middle to those players because we saw how often they move the ball around so slickly, and you give them an opening and they'll find someone. Um, someone will be making a perfect run in behind a player like Odegaard and Rice. They can they can play killer balls. And you just don't want to give them that opportunity. So, admittedly, giving space to the guys out wide in Saka and Martinelli, who are you know really great wingers. I mean, Saka is considered one of the best right wingers in world football at the moment. And Robinson, I didn't think had the best game, but he he did shut him down for the majority. And Saka had a couple of chances, but not too many. Put a few balls into the box, which were dangerous, but we seem to deal with it all fairly well, considering. Um, I think Diop and, and Bassi were impressive. I think Bassi is is still slightly adjusting, and I can see from Silva's point of view what he means when he says he's he's not quite ready for the Premier League yet. I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know the Edivisie that well, where he's come from playing with Ajax, but you obviously have a little bit more time on the ball as a defender in that league, because there are a couple of couple of instances where he was just caught dawdling very slightly on the ball before clearing it or before playing his pass. And I think that will improve slowly, but surely. Um, and look, I think Diop after a mistake last week, it, it could have been a really tough game for him, but he really stepped up and I think he had a really good game. And, uh, you know, I mean, Kai Havertz, was basically shut out of the entire game, and all, all the danger came from the wingers. Um, and I think a lot of that has to go down to a, a really good performance from Diop and Bassi. Um, but let's talk about the the first goal for Arsenal uh, to bring it all level. The penalty. I mean, there's no doubt here that it was definitely a penalty. It's um, maybe a little bit tired defending from Tete. He did look tired. I don't know if you agree with that, and I don't know why he looked like it was the 38th game of the season and he'd literally not missed a minute so far. Um, but a silly challenge there. Do you think he should have just let him go rather than diving in? Yeah, undoubtedly. But I think, again, uh, and I, I think the pressure was relentless and he he was being he was being asked to do a lot of work, a lot of work tracking and... Just taking uh, um, Martinelli, I know you said Bettinelli, Martinelli on, and and uh, he looked he looked a bit leggy for sure, but I think that was uh, I just think it was a little bit of a mind snap that he 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 didn't need to do that, and he knew it as soon as he did it, no, no question about it. it was a penalty, you know, clear infringement. Yeah, I, I felt really sorry for him because you know as soon as he makes that challenge, you see. Kenny's got his hands on his head and is just furious with himself because he doesn't make those mistakes very often. Um, and as a few people, Black, White and Fred on our uh, our live stream here, just commenting, saying, I do think that ball goes out if Kenny doesn't slide in. 
and Martinelli did wear him out and he, he did run him ragged. And uh, as we said, we obviously tactically decided to give those wickets space, but in doing so, it does mean Tete is basically being pulled in and out, in and out, constantly going from the centre to the wing and back and forth. And then backpedalling, trying to track Martinelli, who's a, who's a tricky opponent as well. Um, I think Tete had a fairly good game, but at the end of the day, I don't think Leno was tested too much throughout the whole game. He did have to make a decent save, I think, from Odegaard towards the end. Um, and then um, Fabio Vieira, I think, came off the bench and made to made a decent save against him. But really, apart from that, we did shut out their their attacking opportunities. I think that Leno is that good and we're becoming that used to his standard that I, I actually think he makes some, not wildly difficult things, but he makes a lot of things look very easy. He's so steady. He's so solid. A couple of those balls were really blasted at him and I it was very wet and, you know, you could easily mishandle those, but he was he was rock solid. And I think he, he looked like he really relished the game against uh, his his old mates as well. I think he had a, a a bit of a point to prove without going over the top. I think he enjoyed it. And um, yeah, but in in oh, addition, look, I... <coughs> sorry, what what I wanted to say, Jack, I I, I really do want to um, call out Diop. I thought he had a really really good game. He was everywhere in really really key moments. And if there was any concern that last week's clangor um, was perhaps a sign of things to, to come. I think he put that to bed completely. And and, and on the Bassey thing, I, I do get what you're talking about, and I, I understand what Silver is referring to. Um, but I think he's, he's, I think he's that good. I have no doubt he's going to make the adjustment. And I think he's going to get yeah, yeah, better and sure. better and better. Oh, I, I'm I'm not doubting that he won't make the adjustment. I, I just, I can understand now. I know we've seen it before where Silver has said, um, you know, this this player's not ready. Um, he said it about Solomon a few times. And we saw Solomon come off the bench and, and have a lot of uh, very impressive impacts multiple times. Um, and we were sort of screaming out going, why, why are we not playing him? He's you're saying he's not ready, but he seems like he's ready because he keeps scoring goals. And um, I think we we were sort of saying that in the first couple of games about Bassey as well. But then seeing Bassey forced into having to start and and seeing just a couple of little instances where I thought uh, maybe maybe he's not not quite ready. I, I do understand a little bit more, and and a hundred percent agree as well. He he will be ready, and I think actually getting a full. Not a full ninety minutes because he got sent off, but getting a fairly decent um, number of minutes against top quality opposition is definitely going to help him because um, his his progress will be sped up a little bit more there. Um, There's no question though that he's a great signing. I mean, definitely, he, he, definitely, he proved that yesterday. He's 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 a really 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 good centre back. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. Uh, talking of the penalty as well, um, Steve Reynolds on our live stream just uh, making point of uh, the ref pulling up Saka for not putting the ball on the spot and then Saka putting it down in the exact same place again. Um, yeah, I did notice that. Really um, quite funny though from uh, Bobby Deckard over Reed, who I don't mm. think was the captain at that time because I don't think Kenny had come on yet. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you spotted Deckard over Reed absolutely laughing mm-hmm. his ass off 
after mm-hmm. trying to put off Saka and uh, constantly wandering into the area, pointing at the ball. It was very, very funny um, and I, a very I, good, I thought, good attempt. I thought it was actually, we did quite well there to kind of hold the game up and just create a bit of chaos. And I was thinking to myself, are they actually going to pull this off? Is is, is Saka actually going to lose concentration here? I mean, it's 50-50. Uh, Leno went hard to his right. Saka goes yeah. fully to his to Leno's left, and he's got no chance at all. But I mean, you know, fifty fifty. He hit it low. He 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 was at the right height, and I, I'm saying he saves that because it wasn't that great a penalty, really. Yeah, and he went the right way. I, I just thought it was penalty. it was kind of nice to see us. Um, I mean, there's a rude word that we usually use here when we talk about it when we're playing cricket together. Um, but see that sort of dark side of. Uh, a little bit of the dark arts, trying to put players off and, you know, doing what we can to try and um, get ahead, but also doing it in a fairly good spirit, I thought. The fact that, yeah. you know, the players are going into the box and, you know, they're not being aggressive or anything. They're just, it's all just mind games really more than anything. Um, and having a bit of a laugh with the Arsenal players afterwards as well, despite it not quite coming off. But um, look, two minutes after that though, probably the most controversial uh, moment of the game. Uh, Arsenal's second goal, and just to sort of set the scene a little bit, I, admittedly everyone who listens, I assume, has seen the goal, but um, the the controversy here is the moment where, I can't remember if it's Nketiah or Saka, um, drags Bassi down uh, as he's running into the box. Saka. And I think it is Saka, yeah. And it, it looks like he... Well, the way Bassi hits the floor and stays down and is clutching his shoulder, it looks like a almost like a shoulder dislocation or something something similar to that, where he's in a lot of pain and he's not getting back up again. Um he's still on the pitch and basically on the on the byline as well, so therefore playing everyone on side. Um usually at that point you a referee might consider putting the ball out of play. Um uh, another team might consider that they they have an unfair advantage and so may knock the ball out <laughs> of play. Uh, admittedly, <laughs> let's be honest, that that very rarely happens, and they're they're the kind of things you win FIFA awards for fair play for. Um, but it is controversial because um, that, for me at least, that's a foul. Saka drags Bassi down to the floor, effectively injures him. A few people have said maybe Leno should have held the ball there and made sure Bassi was okay before playing on. But um, when you look at the replay, Leno collects the ball. The the Bassi injury sort of happens behind him, and Leno's there actually trying to move the game on and and actually trying to enact a, a counter attack. Um, but unfortunately, Fulham lose the ball. Ball's crossed into the box, and Ketia is. Um, you know, miles onside. He could have actually snuck forward a few few meters and would have still been onside if the ball had been put into the box there. And it's a good finish, but look, I think letter of the law, there's nothing wrong with it. Um it's it's sportsmanship at this point. And lucky it's not an Ashes podcast because the, the sportsmanship conversation feels like me and you have been talking about it all summer long. Um and now it's flown through into into football as well. Um Dad, how did you see the whole situation panning out because it's 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 not a simple one and there's no simple answer to it um because sportsmanship is so you know i can't even explain it really 
I think you know what it means. What I think you're trying to say, you're perhaps alluding to the fact that it's it's ethereal. There, it's, it's it's nothing well, written. It's all in the minds and what? hearts of the fans and the players. But there's no there's no rules about sportsmanship. I think there's a very clear etiquette in English football for putting the ball out if the referee hasn't pulled the game up, and it. You know, I don't. I, I've. You, you do see it from time to time in the Premier League. You still see it. There are players and teams that do do that, um, but um, but perhaps at home, at the Emirates, not four one up. Um, we couldn't expect that from uh, this team, Arsenal. Then. I mean, being um, sorry to on, jump in, but being. But being totally honest, I, I haven't seen teams putting the ball out anywhere near as much as I remember. I remember often someone goes down injured and you just put the ball out of play almost straight away, no matter where you are on the field, really. Um, it, ju it just doesn't seem to happen as much as it used to. So sort of stepping through this, right? Um, it, it wasn't that easy to see. I thought Saka, if, if that's a move that he practices to pull a a defender down with him on the blind side, it's pretty damn sublime and skillful. I'm not sure he... Well, why Why else would he be holding on to the defender as he's trying to make his way towards the goal? It's an unusual thing to be doing if you're concentrating on moving forward. But I, I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to um, accuse him of doing the wrong thing here, but he definitely holds on to holds on to Bassey, right? I can mm. also see that from where the ref is standing that he could miss that. Um, but he's clearly, well, he's either missed it or he's seen it and chosen not to act on it. I don't know. For such, something in such a key key spot, why, why doesn't he ask or why doesn't VAR jump in and look at that? Question mark. Um the, the the rule around, I, I know the the referee is obliged to stop the game, if 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 he believes or it's obvious to him that there's uh, a head injury, right? So I, I don't know that he even goes over and checks that there is a head injury, um, but obviously he decides in his view that there isn't a head injury. Um, it, it's it's clear to me that Bassi or, or could the referee be absolutely certain beyond doubt that Bassi isn't genuinely injured? I, I'm not sure that he can be. Was he suggesting that Bassi's faking it? The guy's in a lot of pain. He's not banging the ground. But if you if the referee was definitely close enough to see that the guy's fallen with an arm partially extended and you know that feeling when you, your trunk goes down yeah, yeah. and your arm kind of goes above the shoulder socket that could be a dislocation it could be ligaments it's painful it's very very painful um the the, the referee has an obligation to stop the game for a head injury but he actually has the right to stop the game to protect a player in a in, in a situation that he believes the player could be seriously injured that that's part of the rules, and it is. The, it, I see you flinching. It's part of the rules. the The referee has definitely got it in his gift to stop play. Now, if it's in midfield 100%. and the play's moved on, 
arguably there's no particular advantage. We're a long way from a goal scoring opportunity, but here we are. The, firstly, uh, our defenders playing everyone on side, so we're at a disadvantage here by the fact that the guy can't move. Secondly, you know we're at a disadvantage because we're a man down and they're they're they're, they're around us and they're putting us under a lot of pressure. It it feels. Um, I don't want to use the word uncharitable, but what would be so wrong with him actually blowing it up there to go over, stop the game? We didn't have the ball I, I to put think, it out. Well, I mean, there, there's a couple of issues here. Firstly, we we did have the ball, decided to continue playing, admittedly didn't really know the seriousness of the injury at first, um, but we did decide to keep on playing at first. Um, so I can understand why... Um, why the referee didn't do anything. Also, as a few people have mentioned online and in the live stream here, we see a lot that players go down, they they look like they're seriously injured, and then five seconds later they're back up again and they're running around and you see it a lot. So I do understand when referees do let it go a little bit. I, I think here the problem is the referee is too far away to make the decision because it happened on the byline. The referee was, you know, close to the centre circle um, when Leno throws the ball back out again. So it's not like he can see that it's a major injury. And I don't think he's going to blow it up as soon as Arsenal start going on the attack because, uh, I mean... Because the Emirates will go after him. Well, again, part of it is the big six bias here. Unfortunately, it's true. Um I feel like if that was happening against Arsenal, the referee might be blowing that up. Um, but happening to Arsenal, you probably let it go and say, well, it's in the rules saying that I can let the go game go on. And uh, look, it's it's controversial. I don't think it's the wrong decision, but I would like a referee in future to be looking at that and going, it, well, yeah, it's a foul. Um, the, the other big problem is the way VAR is interpreted is the foul didn't happen during the attacking phase of play and therefore it can't you can't go back that far and say well that was a foul um so the goal can't stand uh because I think anything I think anything even marginally controversial that happens in the box um surely surely but it's it's outside that phase asks... of play so it just it doesn't it doesn't get checked, unfortunately. That's 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 part of the rules of VAR is that they uh, Fulham had the ball, Fulham had possession. Um, we decided to play on with it. Uh, the attacking phase of play started when Arsenal effectively won the ball back and started moving forward, and that is when VAR is allowed to interfere and check with stuff. They can't go back for a foul prior to that, and it's the same as you see sometimes when you know for. Um, for the Polina goal, for example, um, we won the corner there. Um, the attacking phase of play starts when the corner is taken. And so they, VAR can't go back and check to make sure that it was a corner because I don't think it was a corner for for the goal uh, that we scored at the very end of the game there. But VAR is not allowed to actually go and check to see if it was a corner and then say, no, that wasn't that shouldn't have been a corner in the first place, and therefore that goal is scrubbed out. So it's the I, I understand why they have that in place, but unfortunately here it just didn't work in our favour. 
because I think if yeah. if that foul had happened during the attacking you know, phase of play, it would have been checked and, and ruled out. It it it's referee decisions in a low scoring game like football are so important, so so important. I I, I I'm flummoxed to understand why VAR is used so sparingly when it could be very efficient, very helpful, and actually used more widely to make the game fair. So that to take a little bit of pressure off the central referee, not to undermine him, but to take it. I mean, I know we're discussing it here. We're not going to change anything, but it, it's infuriating that the FA don't seem to have the insight to actually deploy VAR in a way that could really make things better. Yeah, I mean, the big problem yeah. is the, the the remit of VAR effectively um, stumps us and, and doesn't work in our favour sometimes. And that's that's the real frustration. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking back at the incident now and, and trying to work out when advantage was played and what actually happened there. And it's it's really hard to judge it from the referee's point of view. And... Uh, the only thing you could do at that point is just give VAR total control over the whole game and have VAR make all the calls. The problem with that is they, they're quite slow to act, and that's fine. It's just part of the game. Um, but I, I think it, it's, it's just never going to get – they're never going to get it right. That's the biggest problem here. VAR is, is always going to be flawed in some sense if it's about attacking phases of play, if it's about um, – you know when calls are made and consistency of calls being made as well. Like, it's it's just not quite working out for us, unfortunately. And uh, it, it's look, it's one of those instances where it doesn't quite work. Um, uh, just having a look at the actual replay now, the referee's in a really good spot to see that foul. And actually, the referee basically calls advantage because he's saying that it's not a penalty, which is what Saka was initially uh, asking for. So it's it's confusing. It's controversial. I don't think we can come up with an exact answer here because it's it's outside of the the guidelines and the rules for VAR and for, for fouls and things like that. So, don't um, you don't you find it fascinating that the FA and football in general seem to be resistant or very much dragging their heels? on miking up the referee and actually getting some insight as to what his interpretation is as things are happening. They just won't, they haven't got the balls to do it um, because wouldn't, well, they that did be in the Women's World Cup. Uh, I guess they didn't really, the, the referee was able to make uh, calls uh, loudly, uh, but uh, over the loudspeaker, but uh, only when, only when actually giving their, um, sort of their judgment after a VAR, not yeah, yeah. during the play. Um, because actually, as you said there, the reason I mentioned it, because he's actually, it appears that his mind is focused on trying to ascertain whether it's a penalty or not. In fact, sure. what it should have, what, what he should have actually, what that would have revealed if he said no penalty, that would have revealed that he's actually either hadn't focused or completely missed the foul. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, Marco Silva was understandably furious after that decision, received his third yellow card of the season. Uh, 
Can I make a point games. on that? A, a lot of people have commented, oh, you know, Silver needs to settle down. I, I'm 100% backing Silver to keep making a noise about this because he's the only one kind of brave enough to to risk yellow cards and problems with yellow cards. But if if no one says anything, no one who matters says anything, um, this is just going to continue. Um, and I, I don't mind him absolutely spitting the dummy and bringing it, uh, bringing, trying to hold the officials to account, you know, at, at, at a very public level. I don't mind him doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, he's, he's going to keep picking up yellow cards, unfortunately, but um, like I said, that's his third of the season so far meaning that he uh, now actually misses the Tottenham game, uh, which is kind of crazy that he's already picked up a suspension so far. So that's our third player for the season already banned after Reem, Bassey and Silva. Uh, disciplinary issues maybe that we need to potentially well, have a look at going forwards? No. Again, um, I, I don't know if you plan to talk about this at another time, but now it seems as good as any. The number of yellow cards we picked up for, I don't think, you know, wild descent or wild time wasting. Uh, how many? How many yellow cards did we pick up? Six, five. I think six? we had seven for the game, if you include yeah. Silver and, and if you how, include how, the two for Bassi. And how many yellow cards did Arsenal pick up? Not one. Not one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's outrageous. You know, yeah. we 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 were not uh, okay. Professional foul for Bassi's second yellow card. Bassi's first yellow card. Ridiculous. Um, if you compare the the time that a number of throw-ins were taken on both sides, Bassi sitting on the ball for three, four, five, maybe six seconds, but not it, it. It clearly didn't seem like he was attempting to waste time. I don't think yeah. you can penalise people for being a bit indecisive or uh, the opposition shutting down passing opportunities and causing a little bit of. Uh, uncertainty as to what I do next. That, that's ridiculous. The, the idea of the law is to stop blatant time wasting, not rapidly speed the game up and put people under pressure unnecessarily. I don't think that's what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, and look, the the downside of all of this really is we've we've kind of fallen foul to the fact that Tim Ream picked up a yellow card for uh, time wasting. He then picked up a second yellow card uh, which we've we've heard uh, he that people in the know had approached Silver and Tim Ream and both told them that it was an incorrect decision, but not getting overturned. We've then picked up another yellow card with Bassey for time wasting, uh, and he's then picked up a, a fair second yellow in this game as well, um, but again been sent off. So so we've had two red cards so far this season, and both of them have. Um, basically come from the fact that the first yellow card was a time-wasting one. And we, we're going to see it a lot through the season. And yeah, but it's bullshit. I, I think it's, it's bullshit. It is, but it's the rules now. That's the problem. But it's not, being, it's not being meted out evenly. It's clear. And I'm not saying... I, I agree. I agree. That, we talked about I'm, it during the Brentford game as well with those long throw-ins taking far, far too long. And there needs to be some consistency. And I think that will improve. But at the same time, we, we have to be a little bit more aware because 
we we're picking up a lot of stupid yellow cards so far that are completely avoidable because these time wasting yellow cards and some of them we have picked up fairly um, uh, are avoidable and also you now pick up yellow cards for uh, getting too mouthy with the referee effectively and we picked up yellow cards for that as well and and we're being there's a slight lack of discipline there that I, I like the the sort of aggression and the the will to win and the heart that we're showing but at the same time you need to be a little bit careful because if we keep finishing games with 10 men we're going to have a really tough season not just well, in terms of squad rotation but I mean, Jack, in terms of, we can't see out games it's bleedingly obvious but it also seems completely unfair and i'm not saying that there's a vendetta against fulham but it's definitely um you know I, well i've only i've only seen one game against a big team and that that to me looked ridiculous yesterday uh, look, it, there's definitely some inconsistencies there, and I hope that improves as the season goes on. But we're picking up a lot of cards. That's a that's a big issue for me. Um, we picked up uh, one, two, three, four, five against Brentford. We picked up seven against Arsenal, um, and I can't remember how many we picked up in the Everton game. I think at least three, if not four. One, two, three in the Everton game as well. So we've picked up almost fifteen yellow cards in the first three games of the season. That's unsustainable. We saw the the damage done by having Polina out for um, for three games to or two three games in total across the season. Um, we we need to be a little bit more careful. We need to be smarter and understand that the the game has changed now. Similarly to how you have to adapt to VAR changing, you can't do stuff off the ball anymore because it gets it gets picked up and caught. And I think since the introduction of VAR, silly stuff off the ball has just disintegrated because you know that you're going to get caught. Um, so people winding up opposition players to try and get them to react, you don't see those reactions as much as you used to because VAR picks it up and we, we just need to adapt quicker. Otherwise, it's going to be a very long and hard season for us, I think. Look, you're right. Uh, who wants to, you know, who wants to give away or, or be on the receiving end of a stack of yellow cards? It's clearly clearly not helpful. But can I make the point? And and I, and I heard uh, Dan Crawford uh, make the point on another podcast. I think it was uh, Cottage Talk um, overnight, where he actually made the comment, and I don't disagree with him, that that Premier League referees are the worst referees in the world. English referees, worst in the world. And the FA, in my view, has got a brand issue problem. It, it's not good enough for for a, a league that is lauded for its excellence and its high standard of players and teams and and overall excitement the issues that we're constantly talking about with refereeing is a massive problem for the game it's just not right yeah no i i, I totally agree um the the standard of refereeing has been poor so far i, I would really like to see it improve but i don't i don't know if we're going to see it so um we we just have to accept where we are at the moment. And, no, you don't. And try no, you don't. With it. No, you don't. You have to shout out, Jack. You have a voice. We need to keep. Yeah, well, making I mean, we about do it. shout out. We talk about it constantly. But the problem is, it, it doesn't change. You, be to, you talk about the level of Premier League referees for the last thirty years, and it doesn't improve. Refereeing, refereeing never improves. Um, you can shout as loud as you want, but unfortunately, they they wield a lot of power on a football pitch. 
Um, so it's 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 tough to make any changes, especially um, when if you do make comment about it in press conferences like we've seen Marco Silva do in the past, you just get banned. So it, it's even worse because they actually become more of a protected species and you get um, vilified even more if you do make comment about it. It's it's mm. it's tough. It's it's a real catch twenty two because you can't you do everything you can to fix it, and it actually makes it worse. And it's uh, almost better nah. to sit back and no, it, it does. Yeah. I'm not 100%, buying it. It does. I'm not buying. Well, no, you it. I think... no. It's that you don't want to buy it, but that's that's the no, reality not, no, of the world we no, live in. I'm I'm not buying that. That's the way by sitting back and not confronting it, and not calling it out, and not forcing through the media. Our voice matters none. But what I'm what I'm trying to do is actually give my backing for what it's worth to the likes of uh, Silver for calling it out and and doing it in the most skillful way he possibly can, and constantly holding the FA and the referees to account because number one it makes his job pretty difficult. It makes it makes it unfun for us as fans. And overall, it tarnishes the brand. It just does. So it's in everyone's interest. Well, it's not in everyone's interest to clean it up, clearly. But I want to see it cleaned up. Every every fan wants to see it cleaned up. But like I said, you push and you push and you argue and you, you call it out and you just get banned. That's the problem. Um, and until the FA can look inwardly at itself and say there's a problem here, it's not going to get fixed. And unfortunately... The FA is not an association that is is happy to look at itself and say we got this wrong and we 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 should do better because I, they think they know best. Some somewhere I could be wrong here, and I'll check with your mother. But somewhere in a, in your DNA and your family history, I think there was a suffragette. Jeez, it got bled out of you, didn't it? Look, <laughs> uh, I I I want the change. I, I just unfortunately, you need to actually change the FA from the very base and and clean house uh, and i'd love to see that happen because there's so much that needs to change but um the the, the yeah it's it's a tough one um and, and i really hope for the rest of the season we're not going to be talking about var because it's it's a nightmare um uh, and it, it's constantly causing us issues and unfortunately because we're not a big six club we often see the wrong side of var decisions and uh Look, I, I don't want to harp on about VAR because it's just going to be a long, long season anyway, and I'm sure this isn't going to be our only conversation about it. So we'll save it for one where um, it's it's really important when we lose one nil to Luton off the back of a poor VAR call. That's when I'll be angry about it. Um, anyway, we we actually held on very very well considering we only had ten men. I think a uh, couple of changes made, um, Adama Traore coming on and. Um, just causing a little bit of uh, Arsenal's defence just to just to have to think twice about some of their decisions, uh, not leaving as much space in behind, so therefore not pushing too much further on. Uh, I think that definitely helped our cause because it helped us keep Arsenal sitting back a little bit deeper than they potentially would have done with us down to 10 men. But look, to be honest, I don't know what you thought, but I felt like it didn't seem like we had 10 men on the pitch. It didn't seem like there was a one-man advantage at some points, which going back and, and looking in the past, even looking a week ago at the Brentford game, when we went down to 10 men, it really looks like we were outnumbered. This time around, it didn't seem quite like that. Did you feel like that as well? Oh, absolutely, which is remarkable. 
um, particularly against a team as as good as Arsenal. Mm. Um, it, it was amazing. What what I would say is, I I was wanting Traore on much earlier than he came on, and um, I I I reckon he was I reckon he was subbed on ten maybe 10 or 15 minutes too late. Um, I would have loved to have seen his impact at a point before it kind of got ragged for us. And I know, yeah. I know that, um, you know, him, I can't remember exactly what the sequence was, whether, whether Bassi, <clears throat> Bassi, what, what, what minute was Bassi sent off? Uh, Bassi got sent off on the 83rd minute. Traore came on in the 70th minute. Lukic and Wilson mm. went off for Reed and Traore, and that was mm. just after Arsenal had equalised through the penalty. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and you know, if... if I, I'm not saying he, he would have... He, his um, involvement uh, would have stopped them scoring, not at all. But I would have loved to have seen, um, as everyone was getting a bit tired, and indeed I think we were getting more tired than, than Arsenal, I would have loved to have seen him introduced a bit earlier just to kind of change it up and try something a bit different earlier. Anyway, not to be – but to answer your question, definitely we didn't we didn't look stressed by the 10 men, and I think it was all about attitude. We were just so up for it and – Seem to have our hearts set on getting something out of this game, and yeah. uh, it was it's really impressive, really, really impressive. Yeah, definitely, it was um it was just a, a really well fought game, and uh, you know, uh, it, I put it down to Silver as well, reacting really well to going down to ten men and not changing things up too much. I think we saw Polina drop back into um the the centre back role, but effectively running a similar system to Arsenal where when we had possession, Polini would step up into midfield and we'd play a back three. And that's that's pure confidence as well because in the past, I think we would have seen maybe Harry Wilson dragged and Tosin brought on at centre-back and just sort of sit back and go, right, this is this is how we're going to play now. Um, but we we actually kept pushing and, and kept saying, you know, we, we're not giving up this game and we we were rewarded for that with a, a goal in the 87th minute from Polina. Like I said before, the corner was potentially not a corner. I think it comes off. I can't remember exactly who it was out wide. It might have been Jimenez, I think. Um, uh, it says the corner was conceded by Declan Rice. I think it was a little bit controversial, but again, not able to be checked by VAR. And so it continued on. Really good ball in from uh, Harrison Reed, who I was surprised was taking a corner. Um when you got Tom Kearney on the field to, to see Harrison Reed stepping mm. up to take a set piece. Mm. And I actually remember before the corner going in, a stat flapped around in my head that I heard not that long ago that something stupid like 60% of corners taken in the Premier League last season didn't get past the first man. And I saw Harrison Reed step up to take the corner and I thought to myself, this one's going into the first man on that uh, on the edge of the six yard box, and it's not just getting cleared straight away. And they're gonna we're gonna see a counter attack, but it was a really good ball in, hit really well from Polina, who just guided the ball into the net. Perfect angle from the camera as well. Just seeing that ball just go into that far post, and um, what a celebration from Polina. I know there's been a lot of speculation about him potentially leaving the club this summer, and Fulham have held held very tight 
onto Polina and, and held firm and said, you know, we won't accept anything less than 90. Um, do you feel like after this performance, because it was a really great performance from Polina, I think he was a standout, that we might have a couple of issues over the next five days or however long it is till the window closes holding on to Polina? Because I think when you play like that, uh, $100 million seems like a pretty good deal. No, I really don't. Um, because I, I I think he's he's got a decent head on his shoulders and I don't think his head is that turned by by money. I, 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 that could be a silly statement, but I just, I could be wrong, but I don't feel that that's going to be the case. I don't think, it, it doesn't feel like we have been hanging on to Bellinia. I think he he looks like a guy who loves the club, loves the project, loves working with Marco Silva, is very appreciative of being able to play in the Premier League, probably feels he's been pretty well paid, is smart enough to um, look a little bit further down the track and think, well, if I'm getting this sort of attention, it's going to come to me at some point. And, you know, if what what one hopes is that Fulham do the right thing and whatever salary he's been put on, it's probably not commensurate with what he should be getting. And I, I, I'm sure, let, let's say Polini, do you know what Polini was signed on, what his salary is? I'm assuming it's sort of 50, 60, 70 grand. I'd say it's probably more than that. It's probably up around the sort of 80 mark, I would have thought. You don't really sign a player for 25 million or whatever he signed no, up for. And... sure. Not put him on a decent contract. So, so you know, would 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 we be all would all of us or any of us be upset if he became our highest paid player at one hundred and thirty grand a week? I'm just pulling a number out, and would he not be delighted? And would would that just not make everyone entirely happy for the foreseeable? Um, why the hell don't they do that? I hope they do do that. Because I think he'll stay. And, you know, what I said to you guys yesterday, <laughs> and, and I, know, I, I know I'm probably going to get rubbished for speaking so ill of the dead so soon after his passing, but, you know, whereas we all loved Mitro, it, it feels like Mitro loved to be loved, whereas Polina genuinely loves this club. I don't think, I think he oozes it. I think, he, I, I think he, you can't fake that. And he, he, you know, he he loves his goal celebrations, particularly he knew exactly how important that goal was at that moment, um, at that venue, at that time. And I think the way he celebrated tells me an awful lot. I, I could be wrong. I could be duped once again, but I, I'm not sure. No, it was a... Um you know, a very full of centric celebration, I think you could say, tapping the badge multiple times as he's celebrating and really getting in amongst the fans. That's not someone who's really considering a move or is on the verge of a move somewhere to, to celebrate like that. You just wouldn't see it. So uh, I, I guess my biggest thing here is, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone would even bat an eyelid if Fulham went and said, let's pay him 150 a week. Um and triple his wages. I, I don't think that would be an issue at all. And I think we'd all say that's the best deal we've done all summer if we did do that. The big thing for me, you look at a team like Liverpool who went out chasing Caicedo and Lavia and lost out on both of them to Chelsea and were willing to spend $100 million and are still lacking in that position. 
do they then come forward and say, look, we know we need a player and Polina is by far and away the best option out there at the price that we can pay. So uh, I, I don't think he personally is going to have his, uh, is going to be swayed by it at all. But I feel like maybe Tony sells about 130. Well, he, he's he's not going. He's not going to Saudi. Let's be honest. If he goes somewhere, it's to one of the top teams playing yep. and challenging yep. for the Premier League or the or the Champions League. Uh, so, and I so totally understand that. What's Tony's real price? What's his price? Uh, I mean, probably one hundred one hundred and ten. I mean, he said ninety. Uh, I don't know if there's potentially a, a a release clause at ninety, which is why that number keeps getting floated. Because Fulham came out when West Ham. I think West Ham made an official approach and Fulham came out and said, it's 90 million. That's how much we want for him. If you're going to be, and I think knowing that West Ham just would never pay 90 million, maybe if a club who could pay 90 million comes in, we say, well, actually it's 120 is the real number. Um, so look, I, I don't think he's being swayed, but uh, it's, it's definitely one to keep an eye right. on because uh, it wouldn't surprise me if some clubs came in with big bids for him. Uh, uh, we'll, well, like we'll get said, to the Jack, tweets in a second, and I'll show you some some interesting stuff on that. I, I think, you know, the way you posed the question was whether I'm worried about Polina. I'm more worried about the Khans, actually, because I think they yeah. will have a, a, a point where they'll sell him. It'll be the dumbest, dumbest move because I think Polina walking out the door, no matter how much money we make three days before the end of the transfer window, it breaks Fulham. It, it hurts us. I think that's a mortal wound for this Fulham club. And I don't care, you know, even if we've got £150 million for him, I think it it's, you know, it's literally, if it's not decapitating us, it's taking all of our appendages. Um, well, I yeah. think unless, unless you're making a lot of signings. But you've um, got three days to go. Yeah. Losing Mitro and Polina in the same window would just be it'd be suicide, effectively. Um, yeah. it, it it wouldn't make sense. So I can't see us um, doing it unless, like I said, someone comes in and said he's he's 150. Uh, at which point you you can't can't turn that down. Um, well, I know we I know we'd all want to, but 150 million you cannot turn down as a club. That's I don't I can't remember what our turnover or our profit was for the last couple of years i think we make we're hoping to make like 10 million pounds profit if you got 150 it insane kind of money so i i'd understand if we did accept that i really hope it doesn't happen though um so look a two-all draw i think we actually could have potentially walked away with even better than that uh if not for a, a few unlucky moments there uh quick look at the stats uh arsenal dominating possession 71 percent and the same as well with shots and shots on target. 19 shots to Fulham's eight. 11 shots on target to Fulham's three. Passes as expected, 680 to Arsenal, 274 for Fulham. Eight corners uh, to Arsenal, three corners to Fulham. And uh, one that I wanted to highlight here is stat line of clearances. And, uh, you know, we were talking about how well we thought uh, Diop and Bassi dealt with the, the constant threats and a lot of balls being played into the box by Arsenal yesterday. Um, Fulham with 38 clearances to Arsenal's 10, doing a really, really good job in defence there. And, and the majority of those clearances would have been Bassi and Diop. So um, a really good performance by the two of those. <laughs> I'm um, not sure. I'm not sure if that, that 
Well, it's definitely a very, very good performance to make 38 clearances, but if they didn't put so many damn balls in the box, we wouldn't have to. This is also true. But, um, uh, you know, if they were playing through the middle, it might have been a, a different <laughs> stat line there, seeing six yeah. goals to nil. Um, yeah. yeah, anyway, let's have a look at a couple of tweets. I've just picked a few out. We'll uh, go through um, this one from Fulham Bone at Fulham Bone. On Twitter, listen, we know the ref is never going to let us win this, but we look 100,000 times better than the first two games. Dad, agree? No, it's actually a million, not 100,000. Yeah. <laughs> um, There's only, no, that's that's 100,000 there. But yes, we do look a million times better. Yeah, it is 100,000, you're right. Uh, 100%. 100% um, and who knows, maybe we were always going to play well against Arsenal, but I can't sort of get past the fact that we got that goal and suddenly everyone believed. And, um, yeah, and, and can I just say that I think having had – it's like a tough workout in the gym. I, I feel like – I really feel like this team has exercised the whole goings-on of the week before with Mitro. I feel like we – We've moved on, uh, and I think that's a really good good outcome. Yeah, agree entirely. We really did look like we haven't let it affect us, which I was I was a little bit worried that we might uh, there might be sort of a, a bit of a hangover from such a long and protracted saga. But we really have seemed to leave it in the past, and I think hopefully this potentially might be the last time we talk about it. I think we sh- we should draw that line in the sand almost. I doubt it. Doubt it. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll, we can try. Um, Another one here, uh, at Tom Rogers 24 on Twitter. Sasa Lukic is fast becoming one of my favourite players in this team. Dad, you sent me a message uh, fairly early in the game saying you weren't super impressed with Lukic and he wasn't quite looking there for you. You'd prefer Reid, potentially. Did you change your tune through the game? So I... I actually made a comment before that and, you know, question mark, you know, Lukic over Reed. Am I correct in saying that this is the first time that we've ever seen Polinia and Lukic start? I, th- I, I reckon I it is. I think so. Yeah. And, you know, it's always been that, um, that be that there's been a bit of a shuffle between Lukic, uh, Reed and, and Polinia and oftentimes, in in Polini's absence, Lukic was used, and we've seen plenty of Lukic and Reed together combining. But I don't know that we've ever seen them. Now, someone's going to, I'm sure, tell me I'm wrong. But um, I, I think this is the first time, certainly again in a big game, that we've seen um, Lukic and Polinia. And I have to say that whilst I was concerned that Silva had made that call, I thought he played really well. And yeah. I think, I actually think that perhaps Polina, um you know, bossing the midfield so strongly allowed Lukic to do what Lukic prefers to do and freeze him up to, to be the kind of player that he is. That's yeah. not a very, it's not a very intelligent statement, but you know what I mean? Um, I knew what you meant. Yeah, thanks. Uh, no, I liked it. I liked it, and and um, I I want to see more, but I think it it he he's starting to look pretty good. Yeah, I, I you know I've 
been a fairly big backer quite vocally, I think, of, of Sasa Lukic and wanting to see more of him. Um, I think you're right that potentially that's the first time that they've played together. I think maybe they played in the Leeds game together in the FA Cup. Uh, maybe not. Um, uh, I can't remember if they have played I reckon, together. I reckon it's the first time. Um, uh, and look, uh, I, I think we've been calling out for it and saying it does look like uh, Polina and Lukic would be a better pairing together. Um, and you can't, I don't think you could judge um, Lukic when he's playing alongside Harrison Reed, purely because I think um, really Polina is the constant in the side. Um, uh, we're never going to see Polina get displaced by either of those players. So really you want to see how they both play alongside Polina. And that was the first time I think, like you said, we've seen them play together. He just looked like he had a bit more freedom to run around and knowing that the defensive work would be sort of taken care of by Polina. And Polina did exactly that. I saw Lukic make a couple of really good tackles. I saw him play a few really good passes. Um, he drove forward in, in good opportunities and, uh, was in the right places at the right times. I, I'm starting to really like him. I think, uh, you know, he, he definitely looked like he was similarly trying to settle into the Premier League and the, the pace of the game. But uh, I think he's getting there and he looks like a really decent player. Uh, if, initially, I thought he was a squad player and a backup for our two starters, but I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing a little bit more now. Yeah. Um, this one here from uh, Premier League panel on Twitter. Polina's dual numbers last season were better than the 2015 to 2017 peak of Kante, by the way. Incredible. This is the extent of dual winning we are talking about here. This is the best pure ball winner in football right now. And that Kante period from 2015 to 2017 was when he was at Leicester um, and, uh, you know, was considered one of the best central midfielders in the world. And that, that's what got him the, the transfer across to Chelsea um, and, you know, got him straight into the France squad and winning World Cups. Uh, and he's blowing the numbers out of the water. And they, this is a bit of a thread on Twitter. But Polina is just a step above everyone in world football at the moment as a central midfielder. And maybe it's just shielded a little bit by the fact that he plays for Fulham and not a top six club. But, Dad, just how important is Polina's defensive work for us? Because... Um, you know, we, we know that we give up a lot of XG, even if you don't believe in XG. We do give up a lot of chances, and having Polina back in the side seemed to really shore everything up yesterday. I, I love the way... It's it's not only his famous slide tackles or, you know, the fact that he, he's actually got a very good eye for timing his tackles. It looks a bit reckless, um, but he's actually got a very good eye for it. And I, I love the way he he, he he puts his body in place and stands really firm and just protects the ball and just shields the ball and keeps people away from it. Uh, I, I love that. Uh, I can't remember who was on him, that move. High risk, but the, the, the turn he did when the ball was past him, he had his back or he was facing the goal, ball was past him, and he turned a player and then kind of launched the ball forward. Really exciting. I mean, a little bit dangerous, uh, given where he was on the field. But he's so exciting, and he's so combative. Uh, he, he's he's a real joy 
joy to watch. I mean, I, I never want to see him. I never want to see it, but uh, I would almost be slightly like fascinated uh, in, to see how he actually would do at a top, uh, like in a Man City or in a Liverpool or a Man United sort of side, just to see how good he could actually be because he's just an insane player. He's he's so good, um, and and I never want to lose him. And fortunately, we've signed him up to a huge contract in terms of length that sort of gives us a bit of stability knowing that he's going to be around for a while unless we get a crazy number come in for him. But he, he's just a, something special, one of the best players we've seen at the Cottage in, in recent times. Uh, one here from uh, Ronnie Blabber, but uh, quoting at Peter Rutzler on Twitter. I'll read Peter's tweet first. Uh, this is Silver's comment on Jimenez. He didn't score, but I'm really pleased with his performance. His effort and commitment was unbelievable. And Ronnie's comment here, Jimenez and Traore need more credit after yesterday. They were both quality. Agree with that, Dad? Yeah, I think uh, I don't think you can really put Traore and Jimenez's effort in the same sentence. I, I, I like what I saw from Traore. Uh, he, he is what kind of what the Dan James project was all about. And he looks... Like um, you know, he he could deliver more. I, we haven't seen it yet, but um, I, I look. I thought Jimenez was far more impressive than Traore. Um, he just he just was. He had a lot more time to do it, yeah, but he yeah. his effort all around the ground was so much more impressive, and it was it was full of heart, which is what I loved about it. Um, and uh, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I agree. I don't think. You can't really compare the two things. Traore didn't have anywhere near as much time as Jimenez did, but um, oh geez, what a what a finish that would have been if Traore um, scored that goal right at the end. Then really smart thinking from Tom Kearney to take the quick free kick and just knocking it into space, knowing that you've got someone like Traore there to just bomb on, and the the confidence as well. We saw a similar instance with Dan James last year, I remember, and Dan James just sort of ambled towards the corner and you just wanted him to drive at goal. And we saw that from Traore yesterday. And look, it was a good save, I think, from Ramsdale. It, it, could could he have done better? To be honest, I think Traore should have gone down under the challenge there. Would have been a red card and a penalty almost instantly and a potential to to actually take all three points away. But um, it's it's good signs from someone who's only spent a week with the squad. Um, I, I look forward to seeing him develop and it's just proof that he can really add something uh, at the end of a game. And imagine if, uh, you know, you'd had Willian really tiring out wingers throughout that game rather than um, Bobby Deckard over Reed on the left there. And then you bring Traore on at the end and, you know, the, the wingers are as tired as Kenny Tete was. Things happen. And I think that's that's the benefit of having someone like that in the squad. If he could do that, two or three times a game, that's enough for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one here from um, Carlos Vinicius Enthusiast on Twitter, at Oscar underscore Isiadoy. Great pronunciation there. Uh, Silva got a point away against Arsenal with a 10-man team with limited signings. Imagine if our owners backed him. <laughs> now, without without getting too feisty and too into it here, but just imagine... <laughs> okay, I've imagined. I've finished. It was great, wasn't it? <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, 
Yeah. And uh, our last one here from Aussie Cottager on Twitter. Uh, it's a picture of Polinia slapping the chest after scoring the goal. I couldn't possibly love this man more. Linked with bigger clubs, doesn't cause a fuss, steps onto the pitch with huge pride for our club, scores a late equaliser and Neron does himself damage with how hard he slaps the badge and runs to the away end. What a king. And look, we, we mentioned it before, the passion that he showed. And um, he really does seem like he loves the club. And uh, I, I think, I hope that the Fulham, that he feels a love that all the Fulham fans have for him as well. It was actually a very, very high skill to pull out of the knee slide before he hit the fake turf and, and nearly cartwheeled into the hoarding. Uh, he really looked a bit awkward, but he got out, got away with it pretty well. <laughs> I thought he was going to do an ACL. But, um, you know, for, for those who are not following along on the live stream, the look on his face that I'm looking at as he's slapping the badge and running towards the away supporters, I'm sorry, but you can't fake that. It's, yeah. really, gen it's really genuine. Um, we're very lucky. We're just so lucky to have this guy um, who, who, who loves playing for the club as much as he does. Very lucky. And look, as um, Ash of FFC and me comments on our live stream on YouTube, I had to sit the wife and kids down and tell them that I'm in love with a man. And it's very yeah, well, true. There's they, a lot of Fulham fans out there. <laughs> I hope they accepted it very gracefully, Ash. <laughs> because it's not going to change anytime soon. That's the biggest <laughs> thing. Um, so, look, Dad, we can wrap it up there. Um, we, we're still trying to work out the way we're going to pod over the next week or so. Um, there's a lot going on, obviously, with uh, the game against Tottenham coming up uh, in the Cup. Silver's obviously banned for that one, as is Calvin Bassey. Um, so we expect we'll see a fair bit of rotation. Then the transfer deadline uh, comes later this week uh, before we play Man City on the weekend. So a really busy week of Fulham up ahead. Um, and we look forward to sitting down and chatting some more about it all because there's going to be a lot to discuss, hopefully, over the next uh, seven days. And so, not, um, not forgetting the fact that the transfer window is obviously uh, uh, is a closing. I did say that, but yeah, the oh, Thursday yeah. I think it closes. Uh, Thursday I night. Asleep. Yeah, fair enough. It's been a long one, uh, but an important one. Um, so, look, let's wrap it up there, Dad. Thank you for joining me tonight and talking through a, a really good result that we both weren't really expecting, but um, glad we managed to take some points away from it. Yeah, and no, I. I actually thoroughly enjoyed that game last night and uh, mm. really, um, really exciting competitive game. And I want more of that. And I, I, I do feel that even though we're not that far into the season, those first, well, certainly last week's game was a little bit concerning. And mm. um, I feel like we've totally exercised a number of nasties out of our system and it's um, fingers crossed we actually do some decent business that no one saw coming and we can get on with it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we really need to to make some moves fairly soon in the in the transfer window and I'm hoping, like I said, next time we sit down to have a chat after the window's closed, we're talking about all these brand new signings and how uh, positive the outlook is for the rest of the season. So, guys, thank you to everyone who's joined us on the live stream, everyone who's been listening at the start of the season and all our new followers as well. Thank you very much for engaging with us and uh, we look forward to bringing you more Fulham content over the coming weeks. So, until next time, 
Come on, you whites.